Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. The second reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning on verse 13 and can be found on page 1272 of the Red Church Bible. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, he disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Uh, Peter sat by the fire at night whilst his friend was interrogated and was likely to be 
executed. Whilst his friend Jesus was being interrogated, a mere servant girl asked him, You're one of them, aren't you? She said, You're with that Jesus. But Peter denied it. Why? Why did Peter deny? Not just his friend, but his master. Not just his master, but the one he had said was the Christ, God's great king. Peter must have reflected on this in the years afterwards. What was it that caused him to deny his friend, master and king? I take it it's the very same thing that causes us to deny him, to not speak up for him, and to hold back from living as he wants us to live. It's a matter of the heart, says Peter in our passage tonight. It's a question of who you will fear. The first thing Peter wants to say to us is do not fear people, but fear Christ. Since chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Peter has been instructing the people how to live as strangers in the world. Uh, They're to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good works and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so submit, he says. Love one another, he says. Repay evil with blessing. Then you will love life. You will see good days. After all, verse 13, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good. That's true, isn't it? If you are eager to do good, life will go well, your relationships will go well. If you obey the road rules, if you pay your taxes and don't cheat your boss, things will go well with you. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But you immediately think, yes, but, don't you? It's not always true. Who's going to harm you? Well, there are those who are corrupt, those who are cruel, those who are evil, and if they're in authority over you, they will harm you. That's true for everyone, and on top of that, for Christians, there are many who hate Christ and so hate Christians and will harm you. You can have those in your family, amongst your friends, in your work environment. And in some countries... The normal experience is not that who is going to harm you if you do good. The normal experience, if you're a Christian, is that someone will harm you. For they hate Christ. Whether it's the religious majority, whether it's your family, or whether it's the government. What do you do then, says Peter? Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Do not fear people, but fear Christ. Peter quotes here, can you see, from the Old Testament in Isaiah 8. God's people are threatened by a great nation coming to destroy them, the superpower of the time called Assyria. 
And they had every reason to fear them. They were far more powerful and they were coming to get them. And so the general population was scared, was fearful. But God says to Isaiah, do not fear them. Do not be frightened by them. Why not? God said, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. Do not fear Assyria, instead fear the Lord. He is the Holy One, the unique one. He's more to be feared than Assyria. Do you see what Peter is saying here? Do not fear people. Set apart Christ as holy. Fear him instead. For he is more worth fearing. The solution to fear is fear, fear of Christ. And he says, if you actually fear Christ in your heart, if you look to him as the one you should fear, then you will keep on doing good and you will even speak for him. Do you see that in verse 15? In your hearts set apart Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is a wonderful verse, and in my experience, every Christian loves this verse. For this verse tells us, we think, that there are some Christians, the weird ones, who are evangelists, who simply love talking to non-Christians about Jesus and bring him up all the time. But we are not all evangelists. We are not all to bring up Jesus and initiate the conversation, but we all are 1 Peter 3.15 Christians. We are all to live such good lives among non-Christians that they will see our good lives, like the look of our good lives, see that we have a hope and ask us for the reason for the hope that we have. And Peter's saying here, we're told, when someone asks you for the reason that for the hope that you have, be brave and tell them. And that sometimes happens, doesn't it? In fact, some of you here tonight might have become Christians because you saw what it was like for people to live as Christians and you thought, I want a bit of that. And so you ask them. Sometimes that happens. But is that really what Peter is saying? And is it really true that for most Christians, we are not to bring up Jesus until someone asks us? Well, look at the verse. Is he actually comparing evangelists with the rest of us? No, he doesn't mention evangelists. Does he actually say that non-Christians will see our good behavior and our hope and want to be like us? No. In fact, as I looked at this verse this week, I realized it's the complete opposite. The non-Christians here are not looking at the Christians and thinking, gee, I really like that, I'd like to be like them. No, they are angry. They hate them. They are causing the Christians to suffer. Verse 16, they speak maliciously against the Christians. They ask them to give a defense, it says, like you would in a legal court of law, a defense for the hope that they have. This is not you're different, I see you've got a hope, I really want to be like you, would you please tell me? No, this is, you're different, 
I can't stand how you are different. I can't see why you can't just fit in like the rest of us. Do you think you're better than me somehow? What is this stupid hope that you have as they spit in our face? That's the sort of situation that Peter is talking about. And Peter says, when that happens, don't fear people, fear Christ and speak. Do you see what an extreme thing Peter is saying? Then speak about how Jesus suffered and was raised and you now have a living hope. So should we expect non-Christians to be attracted by our good behaviour? No. Should we only speak about Jesus when someone asks us? No. If you're always to be prepared to give the reason for the the hope that you have when someone slanders you and spits in your face because they hate you, if you're to do it then, how much more when someone's friends with you should you try and bring it up in the conversation? I mean, which would you rather do? Bring it up in the conversation or someone haul you before a court of law and spit in your face? and expect you to answer. Which is the easier one? All Christians are to seek to speak about Jesus. We all have different gifts and different ways of doing it, but we all want people to know about Jesus. We want to connect and share Jesus with people. And that's what I think this verse shows us. Don't fear people. Fear Christ and even be prepared to speak to those who persecute you. Well, that begs a question, doesn't it? Why would you fear Christ when people are pretty fearful, are worth fearing? And that's exactly the question that Peter wants to answer for us. Have a look at verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the... Peter starts well, doesn't he? Verse 18, that's a great verse to understand what Jesus' death is about. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And then he gets weird. It gets more weird as we go on. So what I want you to do is to try and focus on why he's talking about this. What is the context? He wants to explain to us why you should fear Christ and not people. Why is Christ worth trusting in and fearing more than people? And so he wants to tell us about Christ. Try and keep your eyes on him as we go through. What is it that Christ did? You see in your outline four things. Verse 18, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was put to death in the body. He suffered unjustly, like you are, Peter is saying. He was the righteous one. He committed no sin. He did not repay evil for evil. And he was put to death in the flesh. He suffered for doing good and he died. But that's not the end of him. Christ was made alive in the spirit, verse 18. He was resurrected, that means, verse 21. 
And so where is Jesus now? He's no longer crucified. He's no longer hanging on a cross. He's not some impotent martyr that can't help you. No, he's been made alive. And though those who threaten you, you can see and look very real and powerful, he is more powerful. For he died, he was made alive, and more than that, he proclaimed his victory. Verse 19. He went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. This is where it gets especially weird, isn't it, and confusing. Here are these spirits in prison who disobeyed in the days of Noah. There are about ten different explanations for what this could possibly mean, and to be honest, I'm really not sure which is the right one. And one of my strongest memories of preaching a sermon in my church is 14 years ago on this very passage where I tried to explain all those different options. And I can just picture your faces, some of you, looking back at me as if I was a complete madman and you were completely bewildered. So let's not do that again, do you think? Let me just say, I think the best option is what I said before, that in Genesis 6 there were these sons of God, these angelic beings who came to earth and disobeyed God. They did what God did not want them to do. And that was part of the reason that he brought the judgment. Why do I think that's the most likely? Because it's in the days of Noah. And because in Peter's other letter, he talks about that as well in 2 Peter 2. Jesus died, was made alive, and having been victorious over disobedience and death proclaimed his victory to these imprisoned spirits. Not that they might repent and be saved, but that they might know that they had been defeated and Jesus was victorious. Peter is saying Jesus died, was made alive, and was victorious. Victorious so that, verse 22, he now rules. He's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Do you see what Peter is saying to his readers? No matter who wants to harm you for doing good, no matter how powerful they are and how cruel they are, Christ has been victorious over them and he now rules over them. So why would you suffer for doing good? Why would you be prepared to give an answer to those who are slandering you? Why would you fear Christ instead of people? Because Christ is worth fearing, do you see? He died, he was made alive, he was victorious, and he now rules. And not only that, not only is he Christ the Lord, as Peter says in verse 15, he is Christ the Lord for you. So in verse 18, he's the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. In verse 20 and 21, if you just quickly flick your eye down there, there's this complicated analogy between Noah's ark and Jesus. They were saved in the ark through water, so you're saved in Jesus through water. Jesus is Christ the Lord who saves you, and so you should fear him. Why should you fear Christ and not people? Why is it worth suffering for being his people? 
because he suffered, was made alive, was victorious, and now rules over his enemies. Peter wants them to know this truth. He wants to know Christ the Lord who saves, and he wants them to know it in their hearts. Do you see there back in verse 15? But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. So tonight I want us to do a heart check to see how our hearts are. Who do you fear? Who is it that really matters in your heart? Who is it that you most want to please? Is it your friends? Is it your family? Is it your boss or your teacher? Because that will guide how you live, won't it? Who is it that you really think is actually in control? Is it your boss or your teacher? Is it the multinationals? Is it the governments? Peter is saying, I think, that it's as if there is a throne in each of our hearts, a throne that only has space for one person. And whoever is on that throne, that's who we fear. And he wants to say, is it people or is it Christ? I think we were all shocked, weren't we, on Friday when we heard, we heard the news of the massacre in Christchurch. Just a few people. But they slaughtered 49 and proclaimed it to the world. And it happened in Christchurch. Can you believe it? What is their purpose? Well, it's an act of terrorism, isn't it? To cause, to create fear. And surely it has worked. For Muslims surely are now afraid throughout Western nations. Religious people generally, I think, are more afraid. Aren't you? We are more afraid for our society, for we fear, and rightly so, something happening like this in our own city. It's not actually out of the blue, this sort of thing. It's just that it happened in Christchurch, isn't it? This sort of thing happens in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and all sorts of nations all the time, and it creates a little blip in our headlines, and we happily ignore it because they're weird, those people all over there. They do these sort of weird things, and we really hope they don't come to our country because they might do these weird things here as well. It wasn't those people who did this, was it? It was white Anglo-Saxon people like us, and that makes us more afraid. And we need to ask ourselves, who do you fear? Do you fear people or do you fear Christ? Who's been made alive, is victorious and now rules over all his enemies and is in control. Mind you, as I try and check my heart, this sort of an event still feels out there. Yes, I have been to Christchurch and it's not a weird place. It's very much like Sydney. But it still feels a long way away because it's on the TV. What is it that actually would show what my heart is really like, who I've put on the throne of my heart? 
corrupt. I think it's what it talks about in verse 15. What am I prepared to say to people? Why is it that I so struggle to talk to non-Christians about Jesus? Why am I so reluctant to bring it up? When it does come up a topic in conversation, why am I so slow to jump on the opportunity? Why is that? Is it I don't know enough about the topic and that those I'm talking to are going to run rings around me? I doubt it. Is it that I don't get opportunities? No, I don't think that's it. It's that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of how they might react, of how they might snigger, of the awkward silence that might happen, that the friendship might come to an end. That's why I don't speak. Who is on the throne of my heart? I've put people on the throne of my heart. And Peter says to us, in your hearts... Set apart Christ the Lord as holy, the unique and pure one who alone is worth fearing. I need to teach my heart that he died, has been made alive, is victorious and now rules over anyone else that I might fear. I wonder if you're like me. And you need to change who's on the throne of your heart. The question is, who will you fear? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you teach us that we need not fear people, that there is Christ the Lord, and that he is our Lord, the Lord who has saved us if we've put our trust in Jesus. And so, Father, again and again, please show us how we fear people and help us to get people off the throne of our hearts and help us to put Christ there again and again. We pray it in Jesus' name.